0: The book of Revelation is one of those books that seems to be either ignored by many or made the focus of ministry and teaching. I've known churches that didn't touch this book except for the times when the traveling preacher came in with his charts and graphs and all of that showing us when everything was going to happen. Well, if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the wrong place. Ah, that's way above my pay grade. Now, this is not to say that this ancient letter does, does not have some important things to say to us here in Rock Hill in 2023. Some of you have heard me say that I believe that we are living in days that are very similar to the days of the early church. Like them, we live in a world of competing empires that demand our allegiance. We, too, live in a world where allegiance to the king, King Jesus, may cause us to be mocked, slandered, ostracized, possibly even imprisoned (coughs) or killed. The early followers of Jesus felt like they were in the dark. They had left behind lies as good Jews or good pagans and thrown themselves into this strange new religion that seemed to upset a whole lot of people. They were just trying to follow the way of this man who told them to love others. And they found out that Jesus' words about the world hating his followers were true. Now, here in the United States, we don't have anyone wanting to burn us at the stake yet. But I would say there are some people who would just like us to dry up and go away. One thing we do have that the early church experienced is a great deal of teaching that is confused at best or false at worst. And I believe the reason a lot of people shy away from teaching Revelation is that, frankly, it's a hard book to figure out. There are some who think they have it all figured out and are reading the signs to determine when Jesus is coming back. All you have to do is go on online and look at some of the pages, some of the prophecy pages, and to look at this is happening, or this color moon is happening, or this is happening. So this says that these things are going to happen. And, of course, they'll say that over and over again with nothing happening. Others hold their interpretation of this book with an open hand. I would probably fall in that category. I used to describe myself as a pan mill. It'll all pan out at the end. I'm changing on some things, and uh, this is going to be a growth process for me as we go through this, I'm sure. Some don't see any need to study the Revelation. Well, it is in the Bible. So we've decided to study it and see if we can come to some conclusions about what God wants us to know. Now, there are basically four approaches to studying the book of Revelation as a whole. And then there's four approaches to studying the millennium, which Brett talked about in his introduction. So I'm not going to even even go there. The first approach to studying the book is the historical approach. This approach sees revelation as God revealing in advance events during the entire church age. Those who hold this view would say that in the different visions of the writer, God has revealed such events as the fall of both the Western and Eastern Roman empires, and the attacks on Constantinople by the Arabs and the Turks. Timing of events is interpreted by the year-for-a-day principle. Time periods are literal, but they're symbolized as a year equals one day. Of course, adjustments have to be made when the prophetic time doesn't quite work with actual time. For instance, in the year-for-a-day principle, if it were applied consistently to the millennium, the millennium would be 360,000 years long. The earliest proponents of the historicist, historicist approach were the Reformers. Anybody want to guess who they thought the Antichrist was? Not necessarily individual popes, but the papacy. Many of them saw the papacy as the Antichrist. Now, a major weakness of this view is the inability to agree on specific fulfillments of prophecies. It seems like a lot of the different writers had their own views of how these prophecies were fulfilled. And another tendency is to identify their time period as the fulfillment Of history. Some historicists in the past include John Huss, uh, John Wycliffe, William Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, uh, John Newton, Fox, Spurgeon, Matthew Henry, and today modern Seventh day Adventists, and a small group of evangelicals. And that's all I could find in the material I was looking at. It would be interesting to see uh, where these evangelicals are and uh, what else they believe. A second approach to the book is the preterist approach. Now classical preterists believe that the prophecies in Revelation were directed to those whom the letter was addressed to. And they've already been fulfilled. They believe that the book was written during the reign of Nero. In fact, the name of Nero, if you put it in, into numbers, you want to guess what it comes out to be? Six, six, six. six, six. So to the Preterists, Nero was the Antichrist. So it, and it also predicted the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. They believe that later chapters predict the fall of Rome and even beyond to the end of the age, to Christ's second coming. Now, there is a small group called full preterists. They believe that Revelation only prophesied the fall of Jerusalem. And that's it. And most preterists today still hold to an inerrant view of Scripture. It's not like they're casting Scripture aside. This is just how they interpret it. Excuse me. The third approach is probably the most well-known. It's the futurist approach. They see everything after Chapter 3 as awaiting a future fulfillment. The best-known group of futurists are the dispensationalists. Proponents of this approach include J.N. Darby, C.I. Schofield, Charles Ryrie, Hal Lindsey, most Baptists and Pentecostals, Calvary Chapel churches, and most non-denominational churches. Now, the biggest difference between dispensational futurists and other futurists are that the dispensationalists see the rapture is occurring at Revelation one, while the others would place it later in the book. That's where we get the pre-trib, mid-trib, post uh rapture theories. Futurists generally inter- inter- interpret Revelation literally, although there's some acceptance of figurative and even symbolic language. Some of the futurists look for indications of fulfillment of prophecies in current events. As I had mentioned before, looking at what is happening in Jerusalem right now. You know, these people climbed up on the Temple Mount. What does that mean? Or other things. Events such as the establishment of the nation of Israel in 1948, or the addition of Greece as the tenth member of the common market back in 1979. The futurists believe that the churches in the first three chapters represent periods of church history and the characteristics of a particular church. Match the characteristics of the church as a whole during that age. Many of them believe that we are currently in the Laodicean age, the last age before Christ returns. The last approach is the idealist. Now, the more conservative idealist, still hold to a high view of Scripture. They're not ones that are saying, well, the Bible is just a bunch of good stories to help you make you feel good. They do hold to a high view of Scripture, and they believe that John did receive revelations from God. But they hold that those revelations were allegorical and spiritual rather than literal. They see visions of John as representing the themes of Scripture, such as good or evil, Christ over Satan, the vindication of the martyrs, and the sovereignty of God. Now, Revelation was written in the form of an epistle. It has an opening and a closing that's common to almost all of the other epistles. So it's not just a standalone, oh, look, here at the end we have prophecy. It was written as a letter to churches. After the introduction in verses 1 through 3, begins in verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And then John closes the book with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Revelation was written as an epistle to a particular group of Christians with a message that was relevant to and understood by them. Before we look for truths that apply to us in this here and now, we must seek to understand how these truths would have been understood and applied by the original readers and hearers. Same thing we do with any of the other epistles. We look at where that church was, what was going on, so what was the writer saying to them. And then we apply it to us. We should do the same thing with Revelation. <coughs> now, Revelation is also a prophecy. While other epistles may have contained prophecies, this is the only book that identifies itself as a prophecy. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, Paul writes that the function of prophecy is to speak edification, encouragement, and comfort to men. Prophecy speaks the word of the Lord for the present, forthtelling and also foretells future events. Revelation uses a lot of imagery that's found in other places in Scripture. It takes images from Old Testament passages and refashions them into new applications. Interestingly enough, Revelation does not contain a single direct quotation from the Old Testament, but it does contain hundreds of images and expressions from both the Old and the New Testaments. The book uses concepts and imagery from Isaiah 79 times, Daniel 53 times, Ezekiel 48 times, Psalm 43 times, Exodus 27 Jeremiah 22, Zechariah 15, Amos 9, and Joel 8 times. And there are images taken from the Exodus, from the end of the exile, and from the life of Christ. And Revelation is a work of apocalyptic writing. Now we think of apocalypse as, oh no, it's horrible, It's it's all coming to an end. No, apocalypse means revealing. That's essentially what the word means.
1: It reveals
0: things which have been hidden. <coughs> so let's get into the book, and, and uh, which is what we're here to study anyway. And in verses one, 1 through 3, let me read that again. The revelation of Jesus Christ This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there's one or two other translations. I think it's NIV and the King James read the revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, evidently, the Greek word there allows for Jesus Christ to be both the subject and the one that does the revealing. It's, the Greek word is kind of ambiguous there. And the idea that Jesus is the subject fits well with the general contents, especially chapters 5, 14, and 19. And the idea that Jesus is the one doing the revealing fits with the rest of this verse. So it says it's the message from, revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And we have Jesus Christ In the rest of that chapter, giving a revelation to John. As we will see later in this chapter, John comes face to face with the risen Christ, who has messages for his churches. The revelation is also all about Jesus Christ. It was directly to the churches in Asia Minor, and from there to all the churches in the Roman Empire whether it was written in the time of Nero or during the reign of Domitian, which some other scholars believe, the followers of the true king were facing horrendous persecution from the empire. I believe one focus of John's writing was to remind his readers that no matter what the empire said or did, Jesus Christ was still king. And the empires of the world were simply beasts and false and false gods. A large part of this revealing was to encourage God's people that they were following the one true king and that he and they would be vindicated. Revelation was written by John. Now there's some question in some circles as to who John is. The apostolic fathers These are church fathers who knew the apostles directly. They agreed that it was the apostle John. Later theologians thought that maybe another John, a presbyter John possibly, may have wrote it. Because the good Greek literary style that's found in John's epistle and in his letters is absent in Revelation. Now it's possible that the style of the earlier writings was due to the use of a secretary. Some of the, some of the, the writers, or the uh, apostles, would basically dictate to a secretary who would write it down. And it would kind of flow in from their pen. So the style was a little bit cleaner, I guess. And it's possible that in Revelation, that John was writing down what he was seeing. And he was trying to write it down as he was seeing it. So he was writing in a hurry, possibly. We don't really know. He never said. But the author saw no need to describe himself, to describe which John he was. He simply said, John. There probably was no other John in the world at that time who was as well-known as The Apostle John. I would agree that the author of Revelation was John the Apostle. I think it's pretty clear. Some commentators believe, though, that because these verses speak of John in the third person, that they were written by a custodian of the writing, possibly leaders of the church at Ephesus. And that's definitely a possibility. Others believe that John added them himself after completing the book. Well, what is being revealed well verse 1 tells us it is the things which must soon take place the revelation was by an angel given to john who had borne witness to the word of god and the testimony of jesus christ even all that he saw john had shown himself to be a faithful witness and was being given this final <coughs> excuse me this final revelation Of the things that were to come. Now the historicists would say that these things that must soon take place. Are events that will soon take place and will continue throughout the entire church age. The seven churches that received the letters represent the seven periods of church history. The preterists would say that what would soon take place was, of course, the fall of Jerusalem. And the letters reflected uh, reflected the conditions in the seven churches before A.D. 70. Now, the futurists believe that Jesus commanded John to write about things that would happen at the end of the present age. They generally see the letters to the seven churches in the same way as the historicists. And some of the futurists, as I said before, see the church today as being in the Laodicean age. We're neither hot nor cold. The idealists see the revelation as symbolizing Christ's character and sovereign involvement in the affairs of the world. The churches are symbols of churches throughout the ages, that share some of the same characteristics. Now, verse 1, we read that the revelation of things which must soon take place. Verse 3 states that the time is near. What does John mean? Well, the preterists, again, take the statement of face value. The book was written during Nero's reign, shortly before the fall of Jerusalem, and that is what is predicted. Later date, preterists would, stay, would say that the fulfillment happens with the fall of Rome, centuries later. Historicists see the fulfillment as beginning shortly after John's time and continuing through the entire church age. Idealists would say that the time is always near and that divisions transcend time and can be fulfilled any time. The futurists would say that shortly in the King James, and near means something different than what first comes to mind. There are two alternatives given by the futurists. One, shortly means quickly or suddenly, so that when the fulfillment does come, and it may be thousands of years later, it will come suddenly. The second alternative about the phrase shortly does mean soon, and the time is near is to be taken literally. But the revelations are giving according to God's way of reckoning time, not man's. Second Peter three eight says that a day to the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Therefore something two thousand years in the future could be regarded as near. From God's perspective. Verse 3. Pronounces blessings. On those who read this prophecy. And those who hear it. And keep those things that are written in it. Revelation is the only book in the Bible. That has such a promise of blessing. It's Kind of interesting. A book that. Seems so hard to understand. Is the only one. That God promises. If you hear it. And do it. You'll be blessed. I'll have to ask him about that when we get there. Now blessings are also pronounced upon different people. In chapter 14 verse 13. Chapter 16 verse 15. Chapter 20, 20 verse 6. And chapter 22 verses 7 and 14. Now Revelation is not an easy book. It is full of symbols and allegory. Many shy away from studying it. To be honest with you, when, I think it was, was i think it was Brett suggested that we study the book of Revelation. My first thought was, oh no. I was brought up in, in you know, dispensational, the whole thing. Went through Bible college. I, I could quote chapter and verse for all of that. Over the years, as I read other things and other other scriptures, I thought, no, that can't be it. So what I did is I said, well, you know, I'm not going to worry about that right now. And I never went back to really doing any kind of study. So this study that we're doing, at least when you hear from me, you're not going to be hearing from someone who studied it over years and years and years. You're going to be hearing from, from someone who's studying it right now. As we go through it. So, you know, this is real time stuff, folks. But in the months to come, we're going to work together through this book. That reminds us, to me, the book of Revelation reminds us that the true king of this world is Jesus. And it reveals to us things that have happened. Things that will happen. We don't know exactly how to take them yet. But we know certain things will happen, knowing that as we hear them, as we study them, we will be blessed. And that's reason enough, I think, to dig into this book.